So uh, one thing I was sharing with Jonathan earlier was I feel like God has made this environment to be like a greenhouse. And you know, in a greenhouse, there can be lots of different kinds of plants too, but there's a special purpose for the greenhouse and it's a special nurturing environment that um, starts things out strong so then they can be set out to, to handle the weather. It's a little harder on it, right? But there can be lots of different kinds of things that are being nurtured in the same greenhouse. And I think that's one of the things God's doing. I've been, the perspective I tend to take is I, I like to do jigsaw puzzles. Do any of you like to do jigsaw puzzles? Okay, when you do a jigsaw puzzle, what do you usually do? First you try to find the corners, and then you try to maybe get the edges going, right? And then you're looking for maybe similar colors that might go together in this part. So for me, spiritually, when I'm in any, it's just the way I'm made, I guess, I'm always looking, okay, what's God doing here? How does this all fit together? What's this, how does this work in his big flow? And uh, I did uh, one of these things, if you've ever done, it's called the Strengths Finder. You know, it's yeah. supposed to tell you your top five. Well, guess what? One of my top is strategic. <laughs> so I kind of am always thinking, you know, how does this, you know, what's God doing? Well, conversely, God also frequently has to remind me of the verse that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding because I can get hung up trying to figure out what the picture is and then lose sight of listening to God. And one of the big things that we've all been hearing even through this time, but I think through 10 days is that it's all about coming into God's presence and loving him and listening, listening to him. So one of the big messages in my life over the last number of years has been that prayer I think a lot of times when we say the word prayer we think about talking to God and telling God okay God this is all the problems or this is all the needs but actually I think prayer is much more like a conversation between a lover and a beloved right Mm. to get to know each other and to catch each other's heart and I think one thing that happens is that we get changed in his presence we're transformed and then changed agents can be change agents right Mm -hmm. and we can go out from his presence then empowered to do and to carry out the things that he shows us and then all this clutter of things this big buffet line that can be very overwhelming we can understand our individual assignments and we can have confidence that God's given us a specific direction and we can also celebrate sisters and brothers what they're doing and how they're coming and we can cheer each other on because we're all running in a race and um, we all can win the prize we're encouraging it's a marathon we're encouraging each other on and we have a leg to run I think that's the whole chapter of Hebrews 11 right is talking about others that have run this race ahead of us and that are watching, I think, now as we run our leg at the race. Well, Jonathan and I met um, through some kind of interesting series of incidences. Um, I'll loop in a little bit about Tom and I. Uh, Jonathan said we've been field missionaries for about 35 years, um, about 25 years in Asia, and then in 2004 we got involved with a movement called the Ethne Movement focused on unreached peoples and then began working in many other places around the world. Um, In the 90s, how many of you remember the 82,000 movement? Are there any of you old enough to... (laughs) That goes back there. 
that was a movement that focused on it, began raising this idea of what is an unreached people group. And for any of you that may not know, the younger ones that may not actually know, an unreached people group, it's an ethnic group that does not have enough believers in itself to evangelize itself. So like New England, it may be rough, and there may not be a lot of you, but look at all of us here. But an unreached people group, it's a whole ethnic group of people where there are so few that there would be not enough without outside help for the gospel to go throughout that group. So in the 90s, there were people like Louise Bush that led this movement and others that were saying prayer is important, prayer is the key, we need to take prayer journeys. Many of you, did any of you go on prayer journeys in the 90s? Tom and I did, there's some of you. That began to change the, what, what was happening. There were, there were amazing things that God was doing in response to those prayers. In, eight, in 2000, there was a plan that that AD 2000 and beyond closed. But there were many leaders, particularly in the global south, in Africa, India, Southeast Asia, and other places, where they were saying, wait a minute, the church here has just begun to hear about unreached peoples, and it's part of our responsibility, and we've not finished the task. In fact, now there are actually more unreached people than there were in the beginning, because population continues to grow, and situations change, and that, that target's a moving target. You know, every day there are others that are born... Uh, wars happen and people groups move to other places and so on and so there was this group of people that started the ethne movement to say we need to still be keeping our eyes focused on where has the gospel not gone yet and how can we as the church be part of seeing that that message not only hits our Jerusalem and the neighboring areas Judea and Samaria but all the way to the ends of the earth so to me as Jonathan and I got to know each other a little bit um that was one of the things that struck me as I really believe that 10 days is an end time strategy, not just for preparation of the bride for the return of the Lord, but it's an end time strategy for the reaping of the harvest. And I think when Chris shared, for me it was just getting more and more and more clear that these things, prayer and mission and outreach, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, it's all one thing. Um, it's all one big piece. Um, I had been involved with this movement, particularly doing uh, prayer, the ethnic movement I'm talking about now, prayer and prayer mobilization, and had been praying for a long time to connect with communities of prayer. Because in the early 2000s, late 1990s, IHOP and others like 24-7, International Prayer, and many others, there are more than, I don't know how many, but at least 20 or 30 and more, I'm sure, fountainheads of these communities of prayer that were forming and I had not been able to really make connections so for about 10 years I'd been praying so when Jonathan and I met I was weeping and telling him and Jonathan you're an answer to prayer for like 10 years because I've been looking to figure out how to do this well the way we got connected I should probably let Jonathan tell this piece can you tell this piece about the inherit the nations real quick pinch hitting because it fits. I mean, it's all. This is all kind of part of this amazing jigsaw puzzle God's doing. I know. I know. Well, he can take it out. He can take it out of my time. Oh, thanks, Liz. Um, so, inherit the nations. Um, uh, the brief version is the longer version is actually really cool. The LP, but this is the EP. Catch him at dinner uh, and get him to tell you. <laughs> 
through a dream and just a word from the Lord, um, I, I, I canceled all my plans and went to D.C. for this National Prayer Assembly with uh, John Robb and the National Prayer Committee. And um, I knew I wasn't there to pray, but I was there to meet people through this dream. And uh, so I'm meeting this woman named Sue Rao, who has kind of a global network of houses of prayer. And I'm like genuinely just trying to understand what she's doing and like how I can help her. And um, and so I'm like, wow, you're networking houses of prayer globally. That's great. What what do you like? What's the network used for? And and as we're talking, I just start articulating like, well, what if you know you use the network to adopt unreached people groups for prayer and that each house of prayer in the network would adopt an unreached people group um, to pray for weekly and there could be communication with me. So I just started articulating this vision of houses of prayer adopting unreached people groups and missionaries. And as I do, the presence of God just falls on the table. There's like eight of us having dinner, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa. And uh, she, Sue is like, I see a mantle falling on you. I'm like, get that mantle away from me. No, no. Prophetic people, mantles are everywhere. Ah. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, Sue, like, this is really for you. And she's like, the mantle's on you. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want this. I have enough to do. <laughs> and But I really, you know, initially I really felt like, oh, this is for Sue. And then I realized, you know what, I did have, you know, I, start sharing it, the presence of God felt like God, God kind of gave this to me. I need to steward it, even though it, you know, and, and do something with it. And so, um, out of that, Inherit the Nations was born um, with the the idea being, let's get houses of prayer and prayer communities to adopt unreached people groups for prayer. And I met Liz because I had some people that were helping me, and I was getting really frustrated with them because they were supposed to be the the specialists on unreached people groups. Which is not something I'm I'm specialized in, and um, like guys have gotta help me, and I couldn't get through to them, and so I start cold calling uh, unreached people group networks on the internet, literally. Uh, I'm just like, okay, Joshua Project, cold call. Hey, I need help. Who who should we pray for? <laughs> and uh, people start saying, well, you need to talk to Liz and Lita, and I'm like. <laughs> All right, I will. And I thought Liz was Asian, but she's Texan. So that's how that's how Liz and I met. So there's there's actually lots and lots and lots of other cool, crazy God things, dreams, and all kinds of other stuff that you don't have time for in 30 minutes. But um, just to let you know, so that conversation happened um, just shortly before uh, Christmas of 2014, I believe, is um, and I had company coming in that weekend. He called me. We had actually, there's another story. I had missed a phone call. We were, Sue had arranged a conference call with Jonathan and some other people to talk about this vision, and I was supposed to be on it. The only problem, I was on the West Coast, and it was going to be at 3 a.m. my time, and we had company come in like at bits and stay up with us till midnight. And I actually slept through my alarm, and I was devastated because I was so excited about this possibility to finally maybe have a way to connect with houses of prayer and unreached people groups. So it was so great when he called, but then it was like right before Christmas. So their their idea was to match. Um, their goal was like 50 um, specific unreached people groups and communities with communities of prayer with a field person that would represent that 
group that was trying to work among them. Well, we ended up, I think, in a month or so, month or six weeks, we actually ended up with 66 pairings. So it was the first go-around. So on your, on your chair, you got a little card that is just a little kind of a teaser invitation for Inherit the Nations. Well, this first round happened, and it was wild and crazy, and we didn't know what we were doing. It was just this great inspired God idea, um, and we learned a lot from it. We found out that a lot of people really didn't get, uh, didn't understand the criteria because when you say, okay, you're going to adopt um, and you're going to pray, that leaves everything pretty wide open about exactly what does that mean and what's your commitment. Although we were, the expectation was actually that the prayer community, at least two or three, would be praying a minimum of an hour of focus prayer a week and journaling and then communicating with their partner field representative who would be receiving that information and then they would be sharing weekly or biweekly from the field. You know, this is what's happened. These things God's done, praise God. These things are still challenges. You know, pray with us so that the two together are partnering focused on this particular unreached people group. Well, a lot of the groups didn't communicate or maybe everything fell apart, but the ones that did we saw amazing breakthroughs within just a few months' time. There was a movement started uh, among the Kurds in Iraq, northeast Iraq, that happened during that time. It was a couple that had gone there. They were working with refugees from ISIS and um, all kinds of Yazidis and other people in that area, and they had partnered with a prayer team that was actually a YWAM team in Philippines. And they were one of the ones that actually did communicate. And the field team told me that when they would forget to communicate to the prayer team, the prayer team would nudge them and say, hey, we haven't heard from you. You know, we've been praying. Tell us what's going on. And then if, if the field team was having a problem, they'd say, hey, could you ramp up? Because these things are going on. And they actually had a movement start where not only new believers were coming, but those believers were making new disciples that were making new disciples. Fellowships were making new fellowships. Another one, a group in Uganda, in Soroti, Uganda, um, Laban and his wife were from Kampala. Soroti is about six or seven hours a little northeast. Um, this was a group that partnered with a team working in East Africa, the Horn of Africa, among a group called the Harare Oromo. It's one of the people groups that live in Ethiopia and Somalia. Very unreached. And um, they, this young couple were just going and just getting started. And um, we heard from the couple, and they said, this has been amazing. And they were talking about, we've just never seen such openness, and God's just been answering prayers. It's just been amazing. And they made a trip to Uganda to meet the prayer team. And they were astounded at the commitment because it was a group that, it was a Bible school, a church. They had like youth ministries and campus ministries and like the whole thing, all of them had been doing prayer, like all night Friday prayer and whole weekends of prayer and fasting and all kinds of stuff. And they said, it's just amazing. So just them meeting each other really encouraged both of them. The prayer team was so excited to actually meet these people they had been praying for. And I just got a call from a guy that works in a movement in the Horn of Africa, and he told me about a couple of months ago they just baptized 500 Harare Roma believers. So, so exciting to see what God does when we really focus prayer and outreach. 
So something like the 40 days of love is a perfect, it's a perfect yeah. storm in the best sense where you've got that coming into God's presence and listening and being empowered and then going out in love. And I think Gaylord's message is such an integral part of this because it's that horizontal love. I mean, the yeah vertical love of God, loving God and really doing that well and helping, asking him to help us grow in that. And then out of that love, his love flowing through us to those around, whether they already follow Christ or not. It's such an amazing thing. Well, one of the fruits of 10 days is the booklet that's on your chair that's called the 31. And it is an incredible miracle, so I have to indulge and tell you the story of that. Okay, we came to the first, uh, for us, the first 10 days summit last year in May. We had been through a really rough year and a half, really, really rough. It's been seven years, really, a really over-the-top crazy battle with our different family things going on. And um, Tom has had heart problems since we were in China in 86. So he's got like 40 stents and a pacemaker, and he just had open-heart surgery two years ago. So we were just in the recovery phase after the open-heart surgery. So coming here to the summit... I just felt like God was peeling off like crustiness and hardness and just like soaking me in oil and letting my spirit feel that tenderness again toward him and just just a real transformation. And while we were here um, near the beginning, I just felt like in one of the worship sets, I felt like the Lord gave me this. um, It was almost so visual. I mean, it was a I guess you'd call it a vision like a picture of this gigantic train engine that was off the track and this huge um, jack that like jacked the wheels and it was like I could almost physically hear the clunk when the wheels came back down properly on the track and I heard the Lord say back on track. I was like, whoa, (laughs) what does that mean? And Tom and I talked about it. I said something happened. What was it? And he said, I don't know, but I can tell something happened. And let last year it was this incredible acceleration well at that meeting jason hubbard shared and i had never heard of him or met him before that was the first time i was really impressed and i got to go up and visit with him a little bit and i just said you know what you shared about this one church one day really struck me but one thing i just see a gap and um, he has a strategy where a, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, stands for the seven spheres, which is great. I love things that are easy like that because I can remember all those and think about it. And they have strategy teams that help give the prayer points every month for each of those spheres. But I said you need H for harvest because you don't have in here. What about to the ends of the earth? Where is that? And he laughed and he said, yeah, we need that. So I said, I'd like to come visit with you more. So we uh, made a time, and Tom and I went up to Bellingham and got to see the prayer center there and spend some more time with him. Some crazy, interesting things happened. So, okay, now fast forward a little bit. So um, this year, in March, some other crazy, all kinds of crazy things were happening last year in a good way. All the, like... I feel like the floodgates of awesomeness opened up. Problems were still there, but it's like the Isaiah, is it Isaiah 60 or 61 that says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, the glory of the Lord's risen. And it goes darkness, deep darkness. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute, is it glory rising or is it darkness, deep darkness? It's like both and at the same time. And that's what it's been for us. 
crazy good things happening, but at the same time, crazy weirdness also and difficulty and struggle at the same time. Well, um, <clears throat> I felt like in March this year, um, another gal that's a colleague and I had uh, set up a series of meetings, kind of one of those, we're going to pray and see where God sends us uh, over the course of about 10 days or two weeks, but we were going to end up in Bellingham to meet with Jason again. And um, so a couple of days before we were supposed to go, I called and said, you know, give me the address so I can plug it in my GPS, you know, where to come. And he said, well, I'm actually going to be at a meeting. Just come join me at the meeting. And he gave me the address. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird, you know, to <laughs> have a meeting with somebody and they invite you to some meeting, you know. And I didn't know who it was going to be or anything. So we show up, and it turns out it's Tim and Becky Lewis. Do any of you know who Tim and Becky Lewis is? Okay. So do you know who Dr. Ralph Winter is? Okay, Becky is Ralph's daughter. <laughs> and Tim Lewis is the founder of Frontiers. And um, Tim worked with Ralph at the U.S. Center um, and was part of that founding. So this amazing couple, it was their patio, and Jason was meeting them. They've retired like 10 or 15 minutes from where Jason lives. And so they ended up getting given this retreat center I mean, it was basically given. They I think there was some amount paid, but it was this incredible that they believe God's going to make into a training center. And so we just were having this conversation over a glass of ice water on their porch. And Becky starts talking about, she says, you know what I realized? I was looking at the stats on Joshua Project, which is a website. If you've never looked at it, joshuaproject.net. Um, they keep the database of unreached people groups around the world. And so they're all the time working with researchers to try to keep that up to date so that we know where's the target, you know, what exactly, who are the groups that we're trying to reach. Well, um, she had realized that, did you know that there's 31 people groups, 31, all of them population over 10 million, that make up about half the remaining task in terms of number of peoples? She, I'm like, Wow, that's like amazing. She said, yeah. And she said there's 396 that a population over 500,000 that make up 88% of the task. I'm like, I'm just sitting there astounded. I'm thinking, you know, I've been working with unreached peoples for a long time. And the, the total number is something like 7,000 something. So if I tell you there's 7,000 unreached peoples, that's kind of like, whoa. That's like a big number, you know. However we do it, when we were originally starting about how do you pray for 7,000 unreached people groups. You know, even if you pray every month, which we've, the ethnic movement's had a cycle. I'll mention this as I go by. If you don't know about Global Prayer Digest, I've got a few issues. Uh, the ethnic movement partners with them every month to try to work with the field team and uh, region by region. It cycles around the world. It began, uh, it always begins in June after Pentecost, which at the time Global Day of Prayer was going. So it would begin there with um, South Pacific, Southeast Asia, and the unreached people groups there, and then region by region, month by month around the globe. And then once again, the next year we start again. But we focus on in this about 25 or 30 specific unreached people groups um, without saying so, but that a field team is trying to work among. So when people pray at a global level for those groups, uh, unbeknownst to most people, there are people on the ground trying to actually reap. So many, many months within the month of prayer just after we've seen brand new breakthroughs, new churches planted where there have never been any new believers coming. So it's a really exciting thing to see that at that kind of a level. Um, 
Okay, remind me now for I, that was on my bunny rabbit trail and okay, so Jason. So back to the to the thirty one. So um, I was saying, wow, thirty one that's like a month, right? And if you subtract thirty one from three hundred and ninety six, that's three hundred and sixty five. Interesting numbers because as a mobilizer I'm thinking that's like a one a day for a year plus uh, every month. Every month we pray through this and then we pray for the other one per day and then in a year we've had a massive amount of prayer for 88% of the task. And we're all kind of astounded and stunned and we're like, well, what would that look like? Well, that was March 22nd. Um, Within a few days, uh, John Robb, how many of you know who John Robb is? Okay, so a lot of you. He's the one of the leaders of International Prayer Council. Uh, that's one of the largest network of prayer networks in the world. I think there's something like 3,000 prayer networks that are part of it all around the world. Um, he was part of this conversation. It grew to about 15 people that were in this conversation about, did you know? And then sharing these you know, things. And what do you think? And then um, the people at Joshua Project were involved in the conversation. People from... Uh, International Reality Network, people from the new 2414 Coalition, which I'll mention real quickly. I've got a few of these I'll put up on the table out there if anybody's interested in that. But it's a grassroots coalition of church planning movement facilitators and trainers around the world that have said, what if the body of Christ collaborated together to see movements in every people group in every place by 2025? That's seven years from now. And um, so that conversation's just bubbled up over this last year. Interesting. Um, so they were in the conversation. So 15 people. How many of you lead other people? You know how hard it is to lead leaders, right? You do, saw the old advertisement about herding cats? Okay, right. So there's 15 of these. And um, a lot of them come from very different perspectives. Some theologians, you know, that want to hash out exactly what does the Hebrew and the Greek and the fine-tuning and uh, the others are statisticians, you know, that are very big on, okay, we've got to get the numbers just right. And other people are, we just we just want to pray and have the glory of God come. We don't care about <laughs> what the words mean or how many people there are. It doesn't matter. So trying to get all of them to agree on what a prayer guide would look like was nothing short of an astounding miracle. But in 40 days, this team of of 15 people put together this prayer guide. It's got a very simple uh, just explanation of who these groups are. Um, It has a little thing in here several places talking about uh, your prayer community could adopt one of these and partner to see movements happening among them. And it's got some links where you can go now to the new Inherit the Nations website to do that. And it's got an application for a field team or an application for a prayer team. It tells you John Robb wrote the section about um, do my prayers make a difference and why do we pray for unreached people groups? And then all of us collaborated on how do you pray? What are the most strategic prayers to pray for unreached people groups? Um, the importance of God's word. I don't have any of you heard of the Pray for Zero movement. There's something like 1,600 something languages for which there is not a single word of scripture yet. So there's a movement to pray for those languages mm-hmm. to happen, and that numbers they're tracking it. Their numbers going down as they've been praying, and that's a project that's going. Well, they've collaborated to present the part, the importance of God's word. 
and um, to give you the status on these particular 31 groups and what they need in terms of scripture. And then um, you've got a little map and a list, and then the profiles and a single prayer point for each of the profiles of the 31 groups. So as you go through here, um, and the, the profiles have actually been updated and rewritten just for this guide. So a lot of people did a lot of work to pull this together. My daughter actually was the one that did the graphics on it, and she's like she's due um, with a baby in about 10 days. So I don't know if you know how pregnant women are kind of uh, can be kind of high strung. And she was working with a guy that was like super meticulous. So like he would contact her and say, uh, excuse me, could you move the bullet points five points to the right? And she was just pulling her hair out and saying, please, <laughs> it looks good enough, you know. But anyway, they finally actually got it out. And then um, we, we, I don't know what we were thinking, but we got 500 printed. It's available digitally and it gives you the information in here where to get it. It's free for you to get and use and take and multiply and whatever. But um, also, it, on the back page, you'll notice it's got the full list of the 396. It's got the link for that. It's got a little invitation to be part of Inherit the Nations. And it's got um, so a couple of free books you can get that talk about what movements are and how they work. And a little thing to find out more about the 2414 Coalition. And then it's got mention of the Heronhood meeting that I think you mentioned, right, Chris? And Jason had shared about last year if you were here. And then you can see the list of the organizations that collaborated on the back of it. So I feel like uh, Moses' mother putting the baby Moses in the basket, shoving it out in the water. You're some of the first people to receive a hard copy of this. So I'm just believing that, that it's no accident that God's woven all these crazy pieces together uh, Inherit the Nations actually got kind of born first and then got brought into this because what a strategy to see 88% of the remaining tasks impacted but to really focus with per communities and, um, and see those, those things change um, a guy named Bill Morrison who works at the Joshua Project he was telling me you know I used to feel really overwhelmed thinking about praying for 7,000 unreached people groups. Now, Bill's been working at Joshua Project for quite a while. Joshua Project started back in the 90s with AD 2000 and beyond, so it's been going a while. Um, but he said, I started realizing, God started telling me, you know, if somebody was in the middle of one of these cities, let's say Tehran or Kabul or um, name another place, Karachi or wherever, and they were handing out money, they would not have any problem at all being, they would be mobbed, wouldn't they? Because people would want that. If there was an epidemic going on and people were dying and there were people passing out injections that would save them from that epidemic, they would be mobbed, wouldn't they? If there was a famine and there was a relief truck, we've been part of relief efforts, you almost have to have guards because you'll get mobbed by people trying to get to the food because they're so desperate. God can change the dynamics. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen through prayer. Because if their spiritual hunger is such, and if the messenger is a changed agent, and if we don't look like the enemy, but we look like the answer, the whole equation is different. And I believe um, earlier when Chris was sharing, 
I just feel like, uh, uh, I'll say even, last year I was in the 10 days itself, and I felt like the Lord said, you're looking at the beginning of revival with a capital R that we've all been talking about, and yet I don't know if we really realize we're looking at it. And, that, and if you think, what, is, what, do you, what does revival look like? I was thinking about that, you know, that old story about the blind man and the elephant, mm-hmm. and one's touching his tail, and he says it's like a rope, and one's touching his side, and he says it's like a wall, and one's got a hold of his leg, he says it's like a tree. Well, we're all describing in this what revival looks like. It looks like 10 days, and it looks like 40 days of love, and it looks like kingdom finances, and it looks like one new man. We're all describing the same thing, and we're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of the beginning of it. Um, 1 Kings 18.44 is what the Lord gave me this morning when, uh, when Chris was sharing. It's a story about Elijah when he was praying for rain. And he prayed and he sent his servant, look, nothing, prayed, sent his servant, nothing. And then he finally sent his servant. He said, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand rising out of the sea. He said, go tell Ahab to run. So that's my word for you, that the cloud the size of a man's hand is rising. We need to run. We need to realize we're already in the middle of it. We can't wait thinking, okay, down the road, we're going to get ready. No, 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 no. We're in the middle of it right now. And I invite you to dive in full force because that wave, that tsunami of the glory is going to sweep the earth. And we're, we're privileged to be part of it. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, thank you so much, Father, for the privilege of living at this moment, this day. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here. Lord, for your glory. Lord, we know you. When you tell us the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth like the waters do the sea, Lord, you, you bring that to pass. You're faithful. Your promises are yes and amen, Lord. You're faithful. Lord, that's going to happen. And, Lord, you can cause that rise of spiritual hunger, Lord, to be such a thing that, Lord, as messengers go out, that they're changed in your presence. And, Lord, that your kingdom is coming and your will being done. Lord, in an accelerated rate. And, Lord, you've given us the privilege of being part of that. Lord, I thank you for the revival that's coming even now in New England. Lord, even just since 10 days, all the things that have happened and unfolded. But, Lord, even more so over the next few months. Lord, more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Father, as we listen and obey, Father, just help us. Father, give us capacity to run with you when you're running, Lord. You said when we wait on you. We renew our strength and we can run and not be weary. And this is the season for running. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.